you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, guys. Hey, I'm super excited about marketing and branding in the hospitality space. You know, it was something that was super important to me, and I was so obsessed with that in all the years that I ran restaurants. So I'm excited to introduce you today to Mr. Jim Snedeker, who is the co-founder and CEO of Stock Manufacturing Company. What do they do? They create some of the coolest uniforms in the industry. Now, branding is so important, and your staff, as the foundation of your business, are also an extension of your brand, and it's also super important to keep morale high. So listen on to this episode as Jim tells us all about the trends in workwear today, the comfort, the clothing, the styles, the fabrics, the cleanability. All these things are super important in the uniforms and how this company, Stock Manufacturing, works with you to design clothing that meet not only meet your expectations, but also dazzle your staff and wow your customers. Don't miss it. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. The latter two, building the brand and delivering amazing guest service experiences, are really relevant to today's guest. With me today, Mr. Jim Snedeker, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Stock Manufacturing Company. What is that? Well, Jim is a hospitality workwear guru, and we're going to talk all about how you can build your brand with amazing clothing and how the aesthetic really builds you know what you're trying to do and the impressions that you're delivering to your guests so Jim thanks for being here welcome to the show Roger thanks for having me on appreciate it this is awesome now I normally start off every episode you know asking my guests you know what do you do outside your work situation you know what do you really like what, what turns you on what lights you up what are your passions in life yeah sure um I mean, obviously, I so I have two little kids, so I spend a lot of time with them. That's uh, you know, that's the answer for that. But other than that, my hobbies, uh, I tend to, uh, I tend to have hobbies that I'm very bad at, and I'm and frustrate me for for whatever reason. I'm a masochist. Um, yeah. So I've been, I I've been really golfing, trying to golf a lot more the last couple of years, um, and I play guitar as well. Uh, both of them uh, differing levels of uh, poorly. So tell me about the guitar thing. You have a passion for music and you are self-taught or you take lessons or you're really trying to get somewhere. You play electric guitar, acoustic guitar. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, my dad's a really good guitar player and I took lessons when I was about 12. I started taking lessons um, and did not stick with it. My brother started taking lessons shortly thereafter and then became extremely good, probably better than my dad. Um, so both of them were playing guitar all the time. And I think as I started getting a little older and got, was home more, I said, you know, I'm, I'm watching too much TV and this and that. Let's try to find things to do that aren't that. Um, so just dove back into guitar probably about four years ago. Um, limited amount of time to practice with two little kids and running a business. But it's, uh, I play acoustic and electric. Uh, and really, it's just something to, to do to keep me engaged creatively aside from working and relaxing. 
Well, you know, that's sort of on my bucket list because I'm sort of a classic rock fan. And I remember being in middle school and high school and the kids that were picking up guitar were really sort of inspired by trying to figure out the chords on Stairway to Heaven, you know? <laughs> so I'll bet you that you can relate to that. Very yeah, good. That, the feeling of putting together the right chords that actually sound like a song you recognize is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I think that would be the motivation for me is is trying to duplicate songs that I really that I really like. So, okay. Yeah, good. that's how you get started for sure. Yeah, right on. Okay, well, that's that's a great hobby. So stick with that one. Let's talk about hospitality. And if you have a backstory working in the restaurant or hotel industry, did it start for you young? And I'm curious how that led to you co-founding, you know, an apparel manufacturing company specifically for the hospitality industry. Sure. So I, I have worked in restaurants and bars in over the course of my life. That is like really not at all related to us starting this business though, which is kind of funny. Um, I was a, a short order cook at a bar for a little while in college in, in Dayton, Ohio. And then for a couple of years after college, when I was sort of figuring out what I wanted to get into, I was bartending and, and uh, I was a servant, a bartender at a restaurant in the suburbs in Chicago. We wore horrible uniforms at that particular restaurant, which certainly planted a bug in the back of my head of like, you, you couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I'd have to get off my shift and I'd have to go home to change to do anything. Cause I was in this like horrible black pleated pants and like this, like hundred percent polyester maroon shirt. And, um, so when we were building this business, part of the thing in my head was like, I really want the staff of these hotels, restaurants, whatever, to be able to just maybe unbutton their top button, roll their sleeves up and go out to the bar for a, for a drink afterwards without looking like they just came out of a carnival. So yeah, I, I do have that hospitality background really unrelated to starting this business though. You know, it's funny you say that because my first job was a dishwasher at a country club. And thankfully, I'd say within three months, they promoted me to become a bartender. And that's yeah. really where I learned, you know, what hospitality really meant because I very quickly related the fact that, you know, you know, these members of this club, if you gave them really, really great service, it totally impacted your tips. But yep. it's like I had a natural inclination to please people. But going back to what you said, I had to wear this. I had to wear a, a standard white button-up shirt, the black pleated pants, and a stupid black clip-on bow tie. It oh, looked yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And you're right. I felt horrible in it, but I had to wear it. That's what the owner said. Okay, every bartender's wearing the white shirt, the black pants, and the black bow tie. And then we only because you know we did a lot of weddings and, and banquets at this place, and I was the banquet mm -hmm. and wedding bartender, and that was the uniform you had to wear. I think during the weddings, you had to wear this stupid black vest that went with it. But okay, so I totally can relate to where you're coming from. With you, that. you know, the, fun, the funny thing is you could probably walk into most country clubs in the, around the entire country right now, and they'd be yep. wearing a pretty similar outfit still. Exactly. So how did that lead to starting a company? I mean, that you planted the seed back then and you said, hey, this makes perfect sense. The hospitality industry, they always go out after the shift is over. They want to grab a drink, but they don't want to wear the monkey suit. They mm -hmm. got to wear something cool. And instead, that was really the brainchild. And then you said, hey, um, we're going to source and manufacture our own clothing. Tell me about the whole process there. Sure. So I'd love to say I had a, a great vision for this cool modern day workwear company from the beginning, but that was certainly not the case. Um, so I was working in media sales uh, mid mid through late 20s, uh, and I was doing pretty well and was being offered promotions around the country and, and yada, yada, yada. I was making pretty good money, and um, I really just didn't want to do it. I was like, man, I don't want to 
I just, I don't, I was having like out of body experiences, like pitching the product I was selling and being like, what are you talking about? This is not interesting. I'm not, I don't want to keep doing this forever. Um, so I had an idea for a business, which was semi-related to the one that we run now, but I very foolishly quit my job, uh, and went and started this business with one friend in like $10,000 between the two of us it was a bad idea. Um, but we learned a lot and through that business, we ended up, uh, getting introduced to a factory here in Chicago that was an apparel factory. And the owner of that factory introduced me to Tim and Mike, who are my co-founders of stock. Now they were working on the general idea, idea for stock. They were, they had already been running a menswear brand, like a really fashiony menswear brand. And that was not going the way they wanted. So they were working on a more like stripped down Americana kind of classic brand. And uh, I came to them with this idea. Uh, hey, you know, I, I have a business, more business experience than you guys are a couple years younger than me. I have more business experience. I have more sales experience. Like, why don't I come in and kind of run the business? You guys manage the product and we'll make everything at this factory here in, in Chicago. So we started the business. We started stock doing that in like early 2012. And this is a pretty critical part of sort of our, our journey is we had no money at all. And neither of us, you know, we didn't, none of us had family money we could tap into or anything. So we were literally pulling old fabrics off the shelves at this factory, like dead stock fabric and cutting up ties and bow ties and pocket squares and some shirts and going to like street markets and selling them. Um, and you know, I remember the first big one we did and we sold like five grand worth of stuff in a day. And we were, that was it. You know, we were floored. We were like there's something here. Uh, and we were using that money to invest in the website that we were building, which is just absolutely fries me now thinking of how much money we spent building a website when you can do it on Shopify for like 50 bucks now. But anyway, um, so we did that, got the website built finally. Um, but the big kind of crucial inflection point here is that we had no money to market. And uh, our plan was we were going to run this brand and we were also going to seek out up and coming designers and do basically a Kickstarter for them, right? Like they come to us with what their what they think is their best style if enough people commit to buying it on our website, we will produce it for them. They'll get a chunk of the sales. We'll take a commission. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll build our brand out that way while also kind of designing yeah. our own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, from there we realized up and coming designers really have no audience. So we were just selling like a dozen or two dozen of things and we just, we're kind of in neutral and not getting any eyeballs on the site. We got a little, little bit of press, which helped, but, um, I had a, a big idea to what, you know, why don't we find people with big followings who we think would be interested in designing clothing and have them be the people we collaborate with. So, you know, back then it was like Tumblr was the big platform, right? Like 2012. So we literally found guys who had big Tumblr followings and had, you know, in the menswear space and had wanted creative outlets and, uh, they would co-design stuff with us. We'd sell it. And it was like, we did a four piece collection with four different like menswear dudes uh, in 2012 and our sales just kind of went like that. And we we're like, Oh, there we go. So we started building a reputation as a very like collaborative brand. So people would come to us and say like, Hey, I'd love to work with you guys. We'd find someone. And then the collaboration started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it wasn't just 
influencers anymore. All of a sudden we were working with brands and stuff. Um, and it all kind of culminated. We were starting to do the restaurant stuff on the side, which I'll, I'll get to, but, um, we did a big collaboration with Miller high life and in 2015, like massive, they flew us out to New York. We had a, a shop on the lower East side that we, they turned into a, our, a storefront for three days. It was like really, really cool. Probably still to this day, the most in-depth cool thing we've done. Um, and that was sort of to us, like the end of the road for those big collaborations with other like menswear brand stuff. Cause like it was cool. We did really well, but it still wasn't like hockey sticking, right? It, it kind of plateaued growing slowly and it really wasn't enough to pay ourselves much of a living wage or whatever. But on the other side, we'd been approached uh, in 2013 by Alinea to do uniforms, custom uniforms for them. Uh, we, they, we designed really in-depth, really custom uniforms with feedback from Kokonis and Grand Ackets and, you know, the GMs and everything and um, ended up, they're still a client of ours to this day. And, you know, word travels fast in hospitality. So yeah. that turned into a bunch of other restaurants. And right at the same time, we did this high life thing, this long-winded stories to get you to the point of, we did all the uniforms for Soho House when they opened in Chicago. And that got a lot of press, a lot of eyeballs. And Soho House probably has more copycats of their brand than any brand we've worked with. Like everybody wanted that Soho House aesthetic back then. So it just became sort of like a tidal wave of inbound business. and. Um, we just started kind of winding the menswear brand side of things down and and ramping up the uniform brand. And that's really how all of this stuff came together into what we do now. So there was a lot of buzz back then, and it created this sort of cult following for the clothes starting in Chicagoland. So can you describe what it was about the clothes? What made them cool? Like what really stood out that everyone said, wow, that's cool or my customers will be totally jazzed when they see my staff wearing this and the staff are really going to be jazzed when they're wearing that like what is it about it that really made it just so well unique yeah. different and special i mean the big thing we were selling is that we were doing all american-made stuff and we were doing it almost all in chicago and we were selling it at like half the price of other american-made clothing because we were going direct to consumer so that was the big thing is we weren't trying to wholesale to a bunch of different places we were literally selling a shirt that that you would mm -hmm. buy at Nordstrom for 180 bucks, we were selling for 95. Gotcha. So that was where it all started. And then aside from that, like we just, Mike and Tim are good designers. They have, they have good taste and they're creative and we had cool mm -hmm. stuff. And it, that's just kind of how that built. So you're manufacturing all your own stuff right in Chicago. We were, we do oh. not, that is okay. not a scalable solution for the hospitality industry. For right, uniforms, right, but, right. That's what um, really stood out to me. I'm like, really keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we did that. Um, we, we did our best to keep it in the U.S. for a long time, but mm -hmm. okay. we're pretty much pr primarily Turkey now. Okay, so Turkey. But everything is designed in-house. Yes, yes, we design everything. Okay, and what's the lead time? Say a restaurant comes to you and says, I really dig your stuff. I heard about stock. It's like, I want something unique and different, and they might have an idea or two. Take us through the process of actually going from initial inspiration idea, where the design team comes into this, and how long it takes mm -hmm. before a finished product is being worn in a restaurant or hotel operation. Sure. So I'll give you a typical one because there's a lot of different ways this happens. But very often okay. we'll get yeah. we'll get someone that comes to us and they say, "Hey, I'm opening a new ho hotel. I want to do your uniforms for the staff." So we say, "Okay, great. We will um, then generally we charge a design retainer. Um, 
depending on the size of the project. And then they will send us their interior rendering, renderings, their brand book, their iconography, like everything they have. Um, you know, if it's cool. a local yeah. place, we'll go. If it's a local place, we'll go take a hard hat tour. Like we, we got to walk through some really cool places while they were under construction. Um, but generally, we can work off the renderings and just the vision of the of the team. Then we'll put together our own deck of renderings. Like Michael do it in Illustrator, so they're you know three D modeled renderings done in Illustrator, and go and get the feedback from the 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 client from there. They will often have like, hey, I really want to put everyone in like a this kind of baseball cap for the chefs, but I don't know what to do for the servers, blah, blah. So we'll take their feedback, put it with our expertise and creativity and put something together. Once we get a sign off on the deck, we'll sample anything that's custom. Uh, and then once we have those samples done, we'll package them together with whatever in stock things, you know, cause often we'll have a project where we do a custom hat and a custom apron and pin, but then they're wearing our, blue chambray shirt and our black denim jeans, right? So those are anything you see on our website is an in-stock item. So there's no MOQs, super minimal lead times. We keep year-round inventory. I saw and that. The customs, yeah. So the custom stuff, generally we need one to two weeks to do the designs, depending how busy we are. And then anywhere from two to six weeks to sample, depending on if it's a completely new style or if it's just a, a new fabric or cut uh -huh. or whatever. Yep. Yep. Uh, from there, we get approval and it's usually about a month of production time. Guys, take it from me. From one operator to another, I'll tell it to you straight. Nobody likes greasy pots and pans. And I want to keep my dish guys happy. So we upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink than our old soap, the so-called leading competitor. Less dish soap means fewer sink changeovers and a happier dish crew. Try Dawn Professional in your place. It's clean, upgraded. So let's talk about fabrics because obviously the restaurant industry is messy and there's certain fabrics that do well versus staining that doesn't come out. Are the products all scotch guarded or is there some other process? Do certain fabrics feel more comfortable? I, I mean, where does that whole comfort versus aesthetic thing come in? Sure, sure. And then wrinkling is another thing. That yeah, comes right. Up a lot wrinkling as well. for sure. Yeah. So we we tend towards, because of the aesthetic and the and the look of our brand and the type of clients that come to us, we tend towards a more more natural fibers and a more a more natural look. Yes. Uh, but we have at this point now, like most of our shirting at least is a, is a proprietary blend that we've woven. And so like our chambray shirts are 98% cotton. Chambray is a really durable fabric as it is. Um, they're 98% cotton, but they have 2% stretch in them. So mm -hmm. that was, you know, over iterating, we got that right blend where it looks and feels like a regular cotton chambray shirt, but it's got some stretch. And then all of our Oxfords, which is a, a huge part of our product selection, those are all 75, 25 cotton poly. So they still have a really nice hand, like a classic cotton shirt, but uh, that poly helps keep the color, make them a little more stain resistant, make the wrinkles bounce back a little quicker, that sort of thing. So we don't do wrinkle-free shirting. We don't scotch guard stuff because it just has a very synthetic look and feel to it. Yes. But we, we're mindful of the textiles and the blends that we use. So let's get into the aesthetics and what role that really plays in creating, building, and sustaining a brand, right? Isn't that the foundational element, the aesthetic that you really want mm -hmm. to reach? Yeah. So are you asking, uh, like, what is, what's our aesthetic? 
Are you saying, yeah. or uh, yeah, how tell do we us help that. a client with theirs? Well, first, sure. define the word. What is your definition of aesthetic? We might all think of it a little bit differently. I mean, we think of the word aesthetic as having a sense of style, right? Mm -hmm. And not everyone has a sense of style. Sometimes you need to show someone what style is before they get it. So a client might come to you and have absolutely no aesthetic. You know, they're practical, right. they're logical, they're analytical, but they're not creative. They're not aesthetic, right? So what exactly mm -hmm. is aesthetic? And then what's your, you know, what's your definition of it? And then how do you, how do you translate that to a customer's business? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my definition of, of aesthetic is basically the, the way you present yourself, you know, the vibe you get up, give vibe. off. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So for example, uh, you know, we our aesthetic tends to be fluid across the projects that we're working on. You know, you can go to our website and see that it's very contemporary, very clean, uh, you know, a lot of whites and blues and, you know, some colorful aprons. But, uh, you know, we, we tend towards that more modern, clean aesthetic uh, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But then on a client by client basis, we might be working with a really dark bar with a lot of wood and, um, you know, that classic kind of gastropub feel. So we're putting servers in like a black denim apron or a, a brown wax canvas apron with a gray chambray shirt, uh, you know, and, and that's sort of that more like darker, moodier, uh, heritage -y type of vibe. And then we might work with a place that's got big open windows and, and plants everywhere and a lot of natural light. And we'll put them in a short sleeve banded collar shirt with a really um, soft drapey fabric for a waist apron. You know, those are, those are just, they're all sort of in the same vein, but we, we definitely evolve from place to place. And we work with steakhouses that have people in white suit coats and black trousers and a black tie with a gold tie bar. So the staff are really the foundation of any business and they interact with the customers and every single impression counts. And it's all about hospitality, delivering great superior guest experiences in my book is, you know, I've been in the restaurant business for 25 years and that's what I approached. That's how I approached my business. So obviously when people are feeling better wearing these really cool clothes, I think it, you know, it, it has a positive impact on the guest experience because one, they feel professional. Two, they're representing the restaurant. Three, it just—it's the vibe. You know, it just gives yeah. the customer a certain impression of the person, an impression of the restaurant. I mean, that's why workwear is so important. They can't just show up wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, and no matter how casual your place is, right? People just feel more important wearing a uniform, like they're part of something important. It's like a common. Mm -hmm goal, a common team effort when we all look the same and we're all presenting this image of hospitality. And it really yeah. starts with the workwear, right? That's foundational yeah. element, I think. Yeah. The way we look at it is we're not, our uniforms aren't defining the aesthetic of your restaurant, right? Like we're not coming in and, and defining it. We are, we're carrying it forward. We're the, we're, we're the torch bearers for that. So nowadays, as you know, in the restaurant industry, it's you have to have a good menu for the most part. You know, there's places with crummy food that still turn over a bunch of tables because they're in a touristy area or whatever. But yes. in general, you got to have a really good menu and you got to train your staff really well. Those are for like sure. the two Absolutely. big things. And on top of that, to be successful nowadays in the restaurant industry, by and large, you're having a graphic designer work on your your logo and your and uh, the the typography on your menu and the and the graphic design of your menus the interior design of your space, 
the sound design, right? Like even the way that where the speakers are placed and what the playlist is curated for the time of the day. So all of those things, the natural progression is to make sure that your staff is embodying that the vibe you're giving off with your restaurant overall. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way we approach that and the way we've explained it to people in the past that didn't really get uniforms. It's like you can't have if I walk into a place and it's like the lighting's all weird and the staff is in like a baggy black polo and like black pleated pants like we talked about before and a cheap black apron off Amazon like you're you're immediately going to be like oh man this place is not dialed in cuz they don't they're not on par with the other places that are turning out this kind of food and this kind of service. So mm-hmm. it's an immediate like mental reaction. Like you want to walk into a place and be transported into this like new world where you're being taken care of and everything's exactly the way you want your house to look and your house to function. You know, like you want to walk and be like, man, I wish I lived here. That's, that's sort of the, the vision, you know? Now you have some really top restaurants that have worked with stock, including Michelin starred restaurants. I'm sure you get feedback once the staff have been wearing it for a while, you get feedback on how the, how the staff like it, what the customer reactions has been and all that has been very positive. I'm sure. Um, all those accolades have led to more business and just, you know, that word of mouth that you said in the restaurant business, people talk and it gets around and then suddenly people are, you know, on your website and they're calling you up and knocking your door down saying, okay, I got an idea. I want to, I want to, you know, put staff uniforms in place. Yep. Is that been, so do you need to market at all? I mean, besides the website, do you do much marketing or is it all pretty much word of mouth now and one client leads to the next? So it's been word of mouth and this is the year where we're finally like putting a lot of effort into outbound marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think if we had, if we had, gotten business at any sort of scale in the previous years, like it may have just crippled us because we didn't have, we were really kind of refiguring out our production and, and our product offering. Like, you know, we, we switched midstream from being like a menswear brand to a menswear brand that also did uniforms to like a full on uniform company. So there's just a lot of, and we're a small company. So there's, it's just, you know, a lot of things we had to figure out. But, and now this is the year where we're like, you know, if someone placed an order for 10,000 shirts, 10,000 aprons and 50,000 hats, we could do that just as easy as doing a hundred, a hundred and a hundred right now. So that's, I think this is the year that we've sort of pushed the chips to the middle of the table more. Can you say there's a certain percentage of custom work versus the stock inventory that you have? Any percentage I give you is going to be made up because I I haven't looked at the exact percentage. But a rough idea, you know. I'm just curious how much custom work you're doing now versus you know people are going to the website to liking what they're seeing. Like you said, it's got a modern aesthetic. It's like the chambrays are in trend right now. It's comfortable, you know, the black jeans. I mean, the caps. I mean, the aprons. I saw all that on the website. It was very appealing to look at as a first impression, first visiting your website. So I was just curious. Do a lot of people just go there? They suddenly say, well, that looks nice, but I got these ideas. I really want to go custom. Yeah. So percentage of product projects were, you know, 90% of our projects incorporate in stock stuff in Mm -hmm. some way now. Okay. And I would say out of those 90%, where it's probably about a 70, 30 percentage towards in stock. And then we're, we're layering in pins or aprons or whatever. Um, Aprons, I call them custom because, you know, we'll do a, a custom color or custom strap or whatever, but like, they're really easy to do custom. That's why we offer so many varieties. As far as overall revenue, um, the custom stuff that we do tends, 
we tend to have some pretty high revenue numbers from the more custom things. Like we did these Buffalo plaid shirts with embroidery for Maker's Mark for holiday last year. And like, it was only one style, one order, but it was like 1400 units, you know? So it's a lot of, a good chunk of revenue. So sort of both, but it, primarily we're selling in stock stuff on almost every project these days. Okay. That makes perfect sense. That's cool. Yeah. Let's talk about um, how have uniforms, you know, sort of evolved over the years. Like, take us back when you first started and where things are now. I mean, how have things changed? Styles change, trends change. You know, what were things like in the, you know, in the early two thousands versus what they are now? What are customers looking yeah. for? You know, well, early two thousands. I can only speak as a patron, um, and you know, I don't know that people really considered uniforms very much other, unless you were like an 11 Madison park or somewhere where you're putting everyone in custom tailored suits. Um, yeah. in general, it was like steakhouses dressed in one way, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, a sports bar, everyone had like their sports bar t-shirt and that's still pretty similar to today. Um, as far as how it's evolved since we've been in the industry, I think, uh, there was a reason, there's a reason why we're known as a restaurant brand, even though like 70% of our business is hotels versus restaurants. It's often the F and B inside hotels, but most of our clientele are, are really heavy in hotels these days. And that's because the restaurants who are cool and independent and thought leaders in the industry and uh, were, they were the ones to embrace like cool, not uniformy uniforms, right? And that's, there's competitors of ours that are all around the same age as us that kind of sprang up around that time with higher end aprons and, and that sort of thing. Um, and now you're seeing that trickle down where like a significant amount of boutique hotels that are opening up these days aren't really boutique in the sense that they're all owned by bigger brands and they all have brand identity and they're doing a lot of the stuff that is now similar to what the trendy cool Michelin star restaurants are doing, which is, uh, you know, focusing a little bit more on an upscale casual versus just like either a throwaway uniform or a really formal uniform. I see. Let's talk about the pandemic. Like what happened to business when all of a sudden the pandemic hit out of left field, hit everybody, knocked the industry upside down. People... Yep got really panicky, stopped spending money, just tried to survive. Did that hurt your business? Did you have to pivot? Yeah, we pivoted big time. Um, and funny enough, it did not hurt our business. We actually more than doubled our revenue That's last awesome. year. What a great story. Yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy. Um, so at the beginning of March, you know, I'm hunkered down trying to figure out how to apply for a PPP loan and, mm -hmm. and talking to our banker and hoping, okay, we're not going to get any business for the next, uh, you know, three months. Let's try to make sure we can make payroll. Um, and then uh, right before lockdowns happened, our buddy that owns a couple bars in Chicago was like, hey, you know, we're going to be really light on traffic for the next couple of weeks. You know, this is all looks so ignorant in, in retrospect, but sure. and I'm afraid couple of weeks, all the yeah. tips. Yeah. I'm <laughs> afraid of all the tips our staff are going to be missing out on. You guys want to like design a t-shirt and run a fundraiser um, and see if we can raise a little extra cash for these guys. I'm like, he owns like three bars. I'm like, yeah, sounds great. Let's do that. So we designed a t-shirt and by the time that was on like Friday and by the time we were ready to put it up for sale on Monday, like we turned it around real quick. Um, one t-shirt, one style in black and white. Um, by that time we had over 60 restaurants and bars that had signed up wanting to be part nice. of this fundraiser. Killer. Yeah. And we launched it and we did like, we raised like $25,000 the first day. 
And we were like, oh, whoa. And by like Wednesday or Thursday, we had to cap the participation at a hundred bars and restaurants. We were like, you know, this is, it's not going to go far enough. We only got a hundred people. And I st- I'm just thinking to myself, oh man, we could raise a hundred grand doing this thing. You know, that's like killer. Yeah. we're going to, we're going to donate all the profits. That's going to be 50, 60 grand, a straight profit into people's pockets. Um, and then it just kept blowing up. Like there was a bunch of press about it. You got a hundred bars and restaurants posting about it. Everyone's feeling in the city, like really strong about supporting, you know, you remember how it was in the beginning, like everyone's oh, ordering mm. six course meals from their favorite restaurants to go and tipping a hundred percent. And yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's, oh, that's yeah. a great story. Yeah. So we ended up raising, we had another designer who owns a restaurant group here. Who's also an artist. He jumped in and designed some stuff. Then we had another artist who's I think boyfriend is in a restaurant group. She designed something we turned into a blanket. We ended up running the thing for like six weeks and raised $275,000. And um, right at the end of that funder, you know, we didn't make any money off that, but we, it was great goodwill and it was a good yeah. thing we did and it uh-huh. was fun to do. Um, but right at the end of, end of that, we were like, hey, they're gonna, there's going to be a, ma- a mask mandate and they're going to start, it's going to be cloth masks. That was the rumor that the CDC, CDC guidance was going to be cloth masks. So we're like, shit, we got to make some good masks. And we put them up for sale right at the end of the fundraiser. And within like an hour, it was our best selling SKU of all time. And we, Beautiful. yeah, we ended up almost beating 2019's overall revenue just in mask sales over the course of like eight months. So it was, it was crazy. It was, you know, it's not replicable revenue. We didn't, we weren't patting ourselves on the back too much. Sure. But yeah. We were pretty, pretty pleased with the, with yeah. the fact that we were able to like, pull ourselves out of the the depths and and have a decent year. Yeah, but you did good with it as well. I would call yeah. that capturing lightning in a bottle. Yeah, right? it was it was like that's uh, fantastic. It, it was lucky. It was one of those things where it was lucky, but we sort of made our own luck as well, right? So we yeah. put ourselves in the position to be lucky uh and then got lucky. That is that's just killer story. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the cannabis industry and what's going on there. Like it's setting the country on fire right now. Mm-hmm. And you guys are involved in that and you're providing uniforms for that business or? Yeah, yeah. We've, got, we've got a couple cannabis clients right now um, working on a few more. And really it, it boils down to a, a, the similar thing we were talking about with the, with the restaurant industry where everyone's got a good cocktail program now. Everyone's got a good beer list. Everyone's got, you know, there's a ton of really, really talented chefs, huge restaurant boom. So you set your, start setting yourself apart with your ambiance, your vibe, your, your brand identity. And that's happening in cannabis right now where for the last couple of years, you could just throw a shingle out in front of a decrepit warehouse and you'd have a line down the block because it's the only place to buy weed legally in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's competition and there's big time private equity and, and oh, venture yeah. capital money in it. And, um, people are starting to invest in architectural build outs. And again, the natural progression is to make sure the staff looks on brand. That makes perfect so sense. You're right. I mean, absolutely. Trying, it's trying becoming, to put ourselves there. It is becoming the, it, well, it is the fastest growing business I think in the country right now. And it's really, like you said, yeah. it's, it's got this whole trickle down effect to all the well, the aesthetic is playing a part huge in dispensaries as well. So it's just natural that you would supply the uniforms. That's, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Have we missed anything, Jim? I and mean, we've talked, we've covered some ground here. We talked about stock. We talked about what your strengths are. We talked about the design in house. We talked about lead times. What about budgets? Yeah. I didn't ask you about budgets. 
depending on how many staff you have, do you give people choices based on what their budget is? I mean, how do you, how do you work with that? Yeah, so we have our options come around a lot more around staff size than budget. Like budget wise, we're never going to be the cheapest, but we're also, you know, are mindful of budgets. Um, yes. You know, you can actually, we're, we're very transparent too. You can go right on the website and it shows our, our tiered pricing by volume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always leeway on that pricing as well, but in general, we try to be pretty competitive, cheaper than going uh, to J crew, you know, but more expensive than probably buying from Cintas. Um uh, but we def we definitely make rec- recommendations based off of your the size of your staff. So like someone might want to do like a super custom flannel shirt, you know, and then we find out they have twelve. Or, you know, we're gonna have twelve front of half house staff, and it's like, listen, that's you know, you need to that order cost 100 effective, of, yeah, right. You got to order a hundred of these to get mm-hmm. it done, and it's yeah, yeah. we're not gonna carry inventory of them. So every time you reorder, you're gonna have to order a hundred at a time, and blah blah. So with you know, why don't you look at our gray chambray shirt? You can order one at a time if you want, and we'll, we'll lock you into a price tier discount based on your first order. And, um, there's no lead times and there's no MOQs moving forward. That's, that's how things tend to tend to go. So on a custom order or commission, you might call it because this Mm -hmm. is art after all, right? You guys are creating art, wearable art and a restaurant. Let's just say a restaurant has 50 staff and, uh, from time to time, they're hiring new staff, they're losing staff, all that kind of stuff. I mean, when they place a custom order and let's just say they have 50 people, do you recommend that they double the amount of clothing they bring in in different sizes to, you know, to allow for turnover, to allow for growth, expansion, ruining of the clothes? I mean, that sort of thing. How does that work? Yeah. So we, we generally recommend two to three shirts, depending on your budget, two to three shirts per, per employee. Okay. Usually one to two pairs of pants, usually two pairs of pants. And then you can get away with just one apron per staff yeah. member usually. And then we recommend, um, especially on custom items to have like a 20% overage per order, right? Um, for To account for turnover, people forgetting their shirt at home for their shift, stuff like that. You know, the great thing about us rolling out so much stuff in stock is now clients don't have to have so much dead excess inventory on their shelves waiting, hoping that someone who's the right size gets hired, you know, cause they've only got a bunch of XLs left or whatever. Yeah. yeah, um, be- right. Because they can order the hundred they need. And then if they need 20 more, they can just order 20 more down the line. Right. That's, that's the way we've evolved the business to be a little more client friendly. Are staff generally responsible for the care and maintenance of the uniforms? I mean, are they responsible? required by restaurants to get the stuff dry cleaned like all the time or do the restaurants handle that for the staff? Does it vary? What do you see there? The vast majority of our clients have staff launder things themselves, okay. which I, I don't know about in your experience. To me, that was a little bit surprising because I, especially for bigger places, I tend to think of them as having a laundry service, but yes. uh, yeah, even like fairly mid-sized hotels, uh, people are still taking their stuff home and washing it. So everything we sell, uh, other than our wax canvas aprons, everything we sell is machine washable. That's fantastic. Anything else you want to add? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. I think I, if I could boil down sort of the approach to our business like obviously the the way the clothing looks and feels in our brand i keep saying aesthetic but it you know whatever our brand aesthetic is a big part of what a a big part of what brings people to us and what is i think cool and attractive about using our uniforms but from a business standpoint we are like fundamentally obsessed about you know our entire philosophy boils down to just reduction of friction so 
as I'm sure you know, a general manager of a restaurant or a food and beverage director is really, really busy. And there's a lot of things going on. And um, we try to not make them think too much about the uniform stuff. So we're always striving to make reorders easier, lead times quicker, um, you know, just everything we can do to help reduce the friction of going from like first order to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and being a client for years. It's all about for us, um, the customer service and the reduction of friction. So we're not just a, not just a pretty face. We work very hard on the back end of the business as well. Very cool. Well, this is awesome, Jim. I really appreciate you being a guest today. I want to let the audience know how they can find you. And of course, your company is called Stock Manufacturing Company, but the website is stockmfgco.com. Is that correct? S-T-O-C-K. Oh, yeah. S-T-O-C-K. Yep. mfgco.com. And our social media handles, which is pretty much just Instagram these days, is at stockmfgco. At stock M F G C O on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And well, I fantastic. did, uh, I do have a, a coupon code for all your listeners as well. If anybody wants to try us out. Yes. Let us know. Just ro- Roger 20. That's it. Roger 20, 20 is the coupon code. Very cool. Yep. I, well, we certainly appreciate that as yeah, does the audience. It. Yeah, absolutely. So 20% off their first order and um, hope to Excellent. talk to you again soon. Okay, everyone, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, thanks again for listening. You know, Jim was a great guest. We really appreciate his insights on uniforms and how marketing and branding and uniforms go together to keep your staff happy. And don't forget, Jim is generously offering 20% off your restaurant or hotel's uniform program. Simply use the coupon code ROGER20 at checkout. If you're anything like me and you're obsessed with marketing and branding your own operation, look no further than the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. You know, we created the Academy to do three things, to teach you cost controls and how to maximize profit, how to train, develop, recognize, and reward what I call your dream team staff, and importantly, marketing firepower and affinity and how to create these for new and repeat business. Now, most restaurants I know, at least the ones I've worked with over the past decade or so, have spent lots of money on traditional advertising, you know, radio, print, TV, all those things. And in my experience, you just can't track the ROI or return on your investment unless everybody who walks through the door says, hey, Joe, I came into your restaurant because I heard your commercial on the radio, which never happens. You'll never know if your spend is really paying off. But some of these ideas, some of the biggest ideas are free or little or no cost. You know, guerrilla marketing ideas that are proven to, again, drive new and repeat business. You'll find all of these in addition to the other things I mentioned in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. So check that out at restaurantrockstars.com. Really appreciate your tuning in. Thanks again to Dawn Professional Dish Liquid as sponsor of this episode. And, you know, as always, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.